Hey friends, welcome to today's episode. I am so excited to introduce you guys to my friend Michaela Sova, who is a Omaha, Nebraska-born local who used to be the post-game commentator for Creighton University. She's been seen as commentating for ESPN, for the College World Series, and many other sporting events. She is also a marathon runner who has placed in the top percent of some of the largest marathons in the nation, and she now works in the marketing department of Peloton and is continuing to chase her big dreams, is now a resident of New York City, and I'm so excited to introduce you guys to someone who I have been friends with since I was in grade school. Welcome to the show, Michaela. Hi there, I'm Jenna Kutcher. I'm the host of the Gold Digger Podcast, and I'm so excited that you're hearing me right now because that means that I get to introduce you to my friend, Michelle Hagen. Michelle is a mama on a mission dedicated to inspire other women to chase their dreams and their passions no matter what season of life they're in. And I've gotten the privilege to mentor and coach Michelle. She was one of my top 10 students in my community of over a thousand women, and she helped lead and inspire other mamas just like you. And now you, my friend, you get a front row seat. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired. Welcome to the Living Your Calling podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Hagen, and my mission is to help you step into whatever you're truly called to do. I'm a Midwest wife and mom, and I built my business and dreams between the moments of motherhood. I believe that you can create your dreams around whatever season of life you're in. I'm obsessed with creating connections, out-of-the-box ideas, and cheering people on in whatever goal they're chasing. This is a place where you can come to feel like you're joining your best friends for coffee, for real talk of what's happening in life and business. Whether you're working on personal development or business, friend, I got you. Each week, you will find an episode that educates, inspires, and helps you take action to step into your calling and live your best life. You're listening to the Living Your Calling podcast, inspiring you to be and create exactly what you were made for. Are you ready? Here we go. Michaela, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to speak with you. I don't think we've talked in like years. And so I'm so grateful. I know. I'm so glad that we got to reconnect. If people only knew the stories we have growing up together. I know. I was thinking about like something. I was like, what is something I funny I could say about Michaela or share? But I was literally thinking in grade school, we ate lunch together every day. And then I was thinking, I think we ate lunch together in high school almost every day. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> you know, I actually thought of that too the other day. I was talking to my mom and my dad that we were going to do this. And I was like, God, I have so many yearbooks. I'm like looking at photos of us. And this was, when, you know, before I moved this week and looking at photos of us and then getting into high school and like looking at photos of high school and then soccer. And I remember for a long time, we were not on the same soccer team. And then I got on your soccer team and then I left your soccer team. And I remember like when our two teams would play each other, like the battle between. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. But I'm so excited to kind of share your journey and it's such a unique journey. And I think a perfect story to kind of share about living your calling 
because you are living what you had said in high school, like it was always your big dream and what you wanted to do. So I would love to just kind of start, talk a little bit about how you really wanted to be in journalism and sports and where that love of sports came from, because I know you spent many of your years on sports fields. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my family, we, that's what we grew up in. You know, it was my brothers, it was my, my sister, but like not so much. And then me and, you know, going back, like playing each other in soccer and everything, I was on multiple soccer teams. Like I played our grade school and I also played select. So where most people were having like, you know, one soccer practice a week in one game, I'm doing two or three practices on select a practice for our grade school. And then I'm going to play three or four games a week and traveling. And then, you know, with my brothers, we would always be out in our backyard. But as I got older, I, I think it really hit like during the college world series when I was in high school and especially even my first year of college. I mean, in college, when I was going into it, I didn't think I'm going to be in sports. I'm going to be in journalism. I went in, I think sophomore year of college, I was at the college world series. And it was really when a female stepped into the limelight at ESPN and seeing her do college, which is what we grew up on. Like my parents, my family, we still have season tickets every year. And I saw her do that. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And I kept thinking over and over, what is something that I can do for years that I'm not going to get bored with? Because I can't just sit still at a desk all day, every day. Props to the people that can, that is not me. So when I realized that my love of photography and I was good at photography, I was good at journalism. I knew how to talk about plays. I know how to ask the right questions and I knew what to look for. That all kind of just merged together. And I was like, I'm going to try this. Like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do this as a broadcast journalism sports emphasis major. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started, I was like, this is it. Like, this is, I know this is for me. And then I was lucky enough that my senior year of college, I got sent out to Penn State when the Joe Paterno stuff all hit the fan. And it was the first week and the first game that Nebraska played Penn State in the Big Ten. And so I got to go out there and cover that. And at that point, social media wasn't what it was today. You know, we had Twitter, we had like blog.com and you could live blog, but there was no Instagram. There was no live video. And so my friend Kat, who was in my class, myself and one other person, we got sent out and we were covering from Penn State. And we were listening to the news shows from Omaha. We were hearing what our teachers were telling us. And we're like, this is completely false. Like, They're telling people from Nebraska not to go because they could be in danger and people are being mean to them. And we were like, we want to see what it's like as a fan, because we could walk around being media people and no one's going to talk a lick to us. But as soon as we put on red, everybody's arms were welcoming. And so we were able to narrate the story live to get back to, you know, the news stations in Lincoln and say, this is not what's going on. Like you're safe here. No one's getting beer thrown on us like it's not a wisconsin game they're upset because of what's going on this is their family but they're not doing anything to the nebraska family and then from that i was on facebook and there's the post game show for for creighton basketball and they were hiring and i put out my feelers to them and i just said you know my name is michaela i am in journalism major at lincoln but creighton basketball's our family team i can have my own camera i can do your photographs and so i got hired through them and i 
was on air every single Monday. I did all the post-game shows either in Omaha or I traveled to Vegas, to San Antonio, to New York City and loved it. I was like, this is great. Like I'm sitting courtside watching, like watching a game and taking photos to then at halftime quickly running back and editing them and then coming back for the second half and then quickly going into the post-game press conference, getting sound bites, telling the SIDs, the sports information director. They're the ones that make sure availability and what the news people need is there for them or they're the blocking, you know, our ability to access the player because at the time, everybody wanted to talk to Doug McDermott, but like Doug also needed a break, you know, like get out of his face. So I would go then and do post game sound bites with the players. We call it locker room talk. And then I would run across the street at a home during a home game, go to DJ's dugout and hop on air for a post game show. So that then transitioned to meeting all the news people in Omaha and getting an opportunity at KETV. And I worked with them for about a year. And then I moved to Dallas. And at that point, I think my life was like, okay, this is the route I'm going to go down. Like this is, I'm going to be in journalism. I'm going to be on air. You know, I'm going to make this work. I had opportunities to freelance down in Dallas and I did that. Okay. So I want to back up a little bit because it's interesting how you talked about, like there was no Facebook lives or anything like that. And I laugh because so like my first thing into like the entrepreneur online world was an e-commerce website. And that's when like Facebook business pages were like the first new thing. And it was like trying to figure out what to do with them, which it's so interesting because those things that you did back then for your age were actually pretty huge, right. To be getting those jobs and those opportunities. But at the same time, like no one really knows that that's what you did because it wasn't like influencers weren't a thing. Like it wasn't around or that wasn't around. So I would love for you to kind of talk about how you explained your journey and kind of how that worked when it came to like explaining to people, like what you did and how you got your foot in the door at different places? Yeah. So a lot of times, especially with news and journalism, you have a reel, you have a portfolio. So I was able to take things that I had already done, photographs that even came from like sitting at my parents' seats at the College World Series and saying, you know, this is what I've done from a seat. What could I do literally five feet away from a player? Giving them articles that I had written for you know, for class where there might've been a football game and our teacher was like, write an article about what happened during the game or kind of just like banging on a door and being like, give me a shot, you know? And it's nerve wracking because you're right. Like you don't have anything of like major substance. Like I can look back when Creighton went to the big East and even Nebraska to the big 10 and that end of itself is huge. And for someone who is in college, who hasn't been on air, except for maybe like school classings. And I know at one point we did, we had a show every single week and that our class was, you're going to do a new show. You're going to go out and find a story. You're going to edit, you're going to cut it. You're going to do the voiceover and it's going to be on air. And we had the opportunities to anchor those shows. So that also helped where I could turn to, people at KETV, people at Blue Jay Banner and say, hey, you could watch me tonight on this because I'll be anchoring for 30 minutes or no one really wanted like the sports part at that point. And so like I took over it. And at that point, I know how it is now where 
they want everybody to be accounted for to kind of put it like, you know, they kind of have to check off all their boxes of demographics and the type of people that are on air. But at the time when I was going through it, it was like the new thing was like a female. It was just new. Like there wasn't anybody. So I think that kind of helped me have that stepping stone to be like, I cannot only just talk sports, but I can be right back with the guys and like, give it to them and be like, no, you're wrong. Like that, yeah, it's wrong. Like I know when this happened, I know the stat for this and it was rare. And so I think that kind of helped me as well, but no one knew, like if we went to our high school reunion right now, people would be like, wait, you were in the news. Like you did that. And I'm like, yeah, like, yes. And it's funny because like, I can go to Facebook and I'll find photo albums of like college. And here I am in the middle of Times Square reporting for KETV, or I am, you know, at Penn State dealing with that, or I'm on the football field or sleeping in the middle of like a news station. But it's not like now where I can literally film every single day of my life and be like, okay, y'all I'm walking around and here we are in the news station and we're going to go like, there was none of that. And I don't even think we really had like the ability to like actually have like a Bluetooth thing. Like I'm like, okay, I have to now upload this. I have to plug it into my computer. Like people are so lucky now, but I also think too, we were really lucky with our generation where we were still young and it was new and we were able to grow with it where I look at people even five, 10 years older than us that are still in it, have a hard time picking things up because that was new to them. And they were already trained to learn off of these basic systems. Now I learned off the basic system, but also with the involvement of the social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love how that is. It is how our generation has grown with it. And it's so funny because I'll help with like high school stuff now, or, you know, like college kids will say stuff. And I'm like, listen, my generation, like, don't tell me, I don't know what emoji I'm using because we created this thing. Like it's here because of our generation. You're welcome. <laughs> right. And like, first off, an emoji is not supposed to change its mood. Like your emoji is your emoji. And all of a sudden my, my nephew is like, that's not for crying anymore. And I'm like, well, okay, what is a tear falling? I'm like, you're eight. You should know this. <laughs> I love that. Hey friends, I am so excited to let you know that there is a new way to support the Living Your Calling podcast. We have set up a way that you get to be not only in community with us, but you get to receive gifts from us every month when you support the show. I'm so excited to let you know that you can now go to patreon.com slash living your calling podcast, and you can join me in my mission as I am creating content to continue inspiring listeners and to bring this show to life. No matter your Patreon level, every month you're going to get a handwritten letter from me in the mail where I'm going to pray over some wisdom that I'm going to send out to my amazing people that are helping to support this show. Know that you are supporting me as a creator in this podcast. You are helping to support me to continue to run the platforms, to pay my amazing editor. And as the show continues to grow, you are helping me reach more people. 
So head to patreon.com slash living your calling podcast, where you can join in a Patreon membership today. I'm so excited and so thankful for you tuning into this show each week and letting me pour into you and join you in wherever you take this podcast. Again, you can head to patreon.com slash living your calling podcast. And now back to the show. I would love for us to chat kind of a little bit about, so you had all your sports and you got to anchor, but inside that sports also, you became a runner and not only just like, oh, Hey, I completed a marathon, but an elite status runner. So I would love for you to kind of talk about your journey of how that happened as well. And how you kind of felt called to start running because we can all be like, oh, I think I want to do like a 5k or a half marathon, but it's not, I mean, that to, to do multiple marathons means that you have put in dedication and time and you have been like, this is my sport. So I would love for you to kind of share on that too. Yeah. So I think, you know, I always ran, like I played center mid. So that was always, I'm always the one going up and down the field. You know, my nickname in grade school was speedy. Like people knew I could run, but I didn't know how good I was. I think most girls growing up, and especially when you have family that's very close to you and you're getting compared to a lot of people, it's really hard to have confidence in yourself to be like, I know I'm good at this because you're like, well, I'm not where this person is in the family, or I'm not this person in my, in my friend group. So I'm not, so I'm not good. And you kind of like dig yourself down into that little hole. But when I moved to Dallas in 2014, I, it was a way for just me to get outside. You know, I love the heat. I love being outdoors all year round. So I lived right on a trail that split Dallas and it was an out and back and it was like seven miles total. And I just was like, I'm going to see how far I can go without stopping. And I remember the first day that I like went up and back and I didn't stop. And I was like, what did I just do? Like, this is great. So I wasn't good at it. Like I, I hadn't run like that in a long time, but running also, especially in sports and in journalism, you're around so many elite athletes and so many people that that is their passion. And it is a mental thing for them. I used it as a mental thing for me too, where just going out to run released all those endorphins and I deal with anxiety. I did back then. And so it was kind of my way to just release some of the tension in me, but I got diagnosed with a heart condition in late 2014. And my doctor blatantly told me, my cardiologist was like, you're never going to run again. Like just blink. Like you're never going to run. You might run a mile or two, but it's not going to be anything that you are currently used to. And I was like, screw you, dude. Like, that's not going to happen. No, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I, I did. And I was like, I, I'm going to push myself to try and do something that someone's telling me that I'm not going to do. But it was also kind of like, just like people that have health issues. And I'm not saying everybody that has a health issue, don't listen to your doctor. But there are so many things that I have seen in my life that by changing a meal, by changing your mental attitude, like you can accomplish a lot. And so I told myself, like, I'm going to run a marathon. And I had signed up to run the Cowtown Marathon in March, March of 2015. And it got to the race, like two days before race day, I went over to go pick up my packet and the biggest ice storm in like Dallas history hit and the marathon was canceled. And I was like, this absolutely is awful because here I am training for three and a half months and it just falls down. So 
I found another race and I just told myself, I'm going to run it. And my goal is to not stop and not walk and to finish. And I did. And it wasn't the best time. I mean, it was, I'm still under five hours. I was like, I think it was like 4.30 something, which to most people is like, holy cow, like that's a great marathon pace. Like you've never done one and you're running at 4.30, but I got done and I had this, just this like talk in my head. I honestly, like, I felt like somebody was telling me like, this is what you were supposed to be doing. And I woke up the next day and I wasn't really sore and I felt fine and my heart was fine. And I went to my doctor and I was like, here's my medal. He was like, holy cow. And I just, I just fell in love. I, I love running the long miles. There's so many things that people can do for you, but it was the one thing at that point in my life that no one was going to take away from me. And no one was going to say like, I did that for you. Like no one's gonna, as a runner, no one's going to be like, I helped you get, like, I might've trained you. I might've coached you, but that race was my race and no one's ever going to take that away from me. And I think that was my light of, I could keep doing these. And as I started going more and more and getting faster and faster, I knew like, God, this was a calling that I should have hit years ago. Like I can, my dad and I talk about now, we're like, what could have happened if I gave up soccer and dance in high school, because I learned of how good of a runner I was. I was like, I probably could have had a scholarship somewhere. And I'm like, some days I'm like, maybe I should just go back to college and be like an old like person running and track and field. I mean, you still have your eligibility. I do. I do. You technically could. I could, but I think if I hit semi-elite status or elite status in like Roadrunners of America, I don't think I could actually go back. It's kind of like a gymnast. You have to like give up one or the other. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, look, there's like so many different things. How would we even know? But it is like so crazy to think that there was something inside of you that you didn't know until like it came out yeah. when you needed it. Like you said, you were using it for anxiety. And I know like a lot of people talk about like the runner's high or I don't run, but I can get on the Peloton bike. I did. Okay. So I, okay. We have to sidebar for a moment. I never understood what runner's high was because I have horrible ankles and knees. And I was like, what high are you people talking about? Cause I'm in pain until I got my spin bike. Mm -hmm. And when you do the Peloton classes, I'm like, is this the high? Is this the high everyone talks about of how you're like anxious and you just get on the bike and you just cry a little and you yeah. feel better and then you're all and then you go on with your life. It is. It, it's and people, it's different for everybody. Like I I can fall into a run and within two, three minutes, I'm zoned out. Like I I but I've this is now six years of my life, you know. This isn't a I just started a week ago. You know, I'm running a, my warm up now is was my sprint when I first started running. Like, and I really started getting into it. And now I'm like, how? But the runner's high is the best feeling in the world. I cannot tell you how many times I have laughed at myself, how many times I'm like not catching myself, but realizing I'm singing out loud, like loud on a run because I'm just like in the mood. I've cried some of my hardest cries on a treadmill or on a run. I remember the day that I got called that my grandma was really sick and I just went to the treadmill, put my head, my hat, a sweatshirt on a hooded run is like my favorite run. I put my hood up and I bawled for like a good hour and a half and I, and I needed it. And, and Peloton 
girl, we could talk about that all day long. The bike high is like a runner's high. Cause I have one and it's the same deal. And that's what I was afraid of. Like when I first started biking, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this because I'm used to that energy and that, like that runner's high. Well, nope. Get it all the time. My parents are like, get off of it. I go home and I'm like on it three times a day. And they're like, get off it. I'm like, I can't. It's just so much fun. I love that. I would love to back up a little bit. You talked about how that no one can take running away from you and that it's something that like you accomplish. And even though you have a coach that it's something that you did yourself, Mm -hmm. but at what point did you realize like, oh, this like running thing just isn't for necessarily for fun. Like I have status that I can be an elite runner and that you are an elite runner. So at what point, or was there one specific person that said to you, like, Hey, like, do you realize like what you're doing here? Like, what did that look like for you? Yeah. So there, I remember, I know two really strong visuals right now that I, I get when you used to ask that question, I had a manager, I worked at Equinox, which for most people, like people that don't know Equinox is a luxury health club. People compare it to lifetime. It's not a lifetime. It's like $200 a month. Training's like $6,000, $7,000. There came, it came out of New York. There's club X's, which are like your premier people. I mean, you have to like turn in your phone when you walk into it. It's very elite. And I worked there in Dallas and my GM, he was a runner and he, he was kind of someone that he was not very easy to like break into like, like into like their personality, but I was able to, because I liked running. So we were able to converse about running. And when I got the New York city marathon in 2018, I was training and I was using the club all the time. And he, he turned to myself and then my best friend, Jackie, who we actually met from Equinox. She was my regional manager. He was like, why don't you guys go up and run? And he was getting, he was giving me training plans that he knew of from the club that in New York and LA, like the tread instructors, they were teaching these classes. So we went upstairs and we got on the treadmill next to each other. And she liked to run. And I, I loved to run and she got done and she looked like she wanted to puke. And I got done and I was like, I could go for like another 45 minutes. Like, this is nothing to me. Like, this is great. And he looked at me, David, the manager, and he's like, you just did one of the hardest runs possible. And you look like you just walked off Beverly Hills and you're in your finest getup, like you're nothing. And at that point I was like, is there a reason that this is too easy for me? And then I went to New York and I got done with New York in 2018. I saw my time and I saw where I was in my age division. And I was like, okay, this isn't bad. Like, this is honestly not bad. And in 2018, I had back-to-back kidney surgeries. So I only had eight weeks to train for New York. Like I went from not even walking, like I could barely walk to all of a sudden eight weeks and I ran 26.2. So that happened. And then I started doing smaller races in Dallas, like 5Ks and 10Ks. And I was up there with my, our age division. And for females, like I was leading the packs of the top 10, top 12%. And I was like, this is, this is like, something's going on. Like I can do this. So I got New York again in 2019 and I decided I was going to go to, to 
uh, Denver and I was going to go for a, six months. And I was going to train in the elevation. And at that point, that's when I was like, mm-hmm. let's see what this, let's see what this does, because I'm going to go up where all the runners are. I'm going to go up to, you know, the elevation, I'm going to do the Hills. I'm going to do everything. And I came back down and I got to New York and well, first off, I got my name in the, in the New York times. And that is like a huge feat, like to actually have that. And I was like flipping through pages and I still wasn't even like in the back three quarters of the pages of runners that got it. And I finished like top 13% of all females. I was in like the top eight, nine of my, our age division. And there's 50,000 plus runners. And I came in at like 16,000, I think, like, I think maybe even 13 or 14. And at that point I was like, we're going to go with this. And it changed my entire mentality. And for the longest time I was criticized for running, I would get in trouble for running, but running was also my safety net. And so I would say the biggest one was probably 2019 and seeing my finishing time in New York and being like, this is bananas. Like, how did I just do this? So how did it feel coming off of, cause like 2019, you get to finish the New York city marathon and then obviously COVID hits and then there's no marathons. So I would love for you to like, talk about, you found the love of something that you love to do. And then you came into this year of you found the thing. And then it was like, well, I could go run one for myself and tell my Instagram friends, Facebook, like, Hey, I ran a marathon, but no one like you literally were almost hitting a stride and then literally went to nothing. So what did that feel like? And kind of that transition in that year of having to really just kind of run for yourself. It was awful. It was a gut wrench. I was signed up for the LA marathon. I was going to do the conquer LA challenge, which is 5k or 10k. And I did the 10k, which was the Santa Monica 10k. Then I was going to do the Rose Bowl half. And then I was going to do the LA full. And you get all three of those, you get like the champion conqueror medal. And then all those got canceled. So I didn't do those. Then I had Boston and I couldn't go to Boston. And then I had New York and New York was like, it was just all of these things that you're like, how am I going to be able to sustain this? Like if, and especially most people, especially people that feel like they're getting to their prime or you see runners and or athletes. And you're like, Oh, they're old. They're not going to be as good as they were two years ago. And I'm like, at that point I was 30 and I'm like, this is going to suck because how am I going to do this at 32 when I feel this way now? But then I kept reading and I'm like the people that I were my role models and that I just love as runners, they're older. And I think people don't realize like in the running culture, a lot of the elite runners are older, like the most marathon men, female, they're like in their mid thirties. So for me, I was like, okay, well, they're doing it then I can do it then I just have to stay healthy but you do it and you meet all these people and then you can't you don't get to see them and you put in all this work and it's just like blah and you're like now what do I do what do what what do I train for that's exciting because you're right you know you train for a season basketball guys train for basketball football trains for football as a runner you trained to to run and then you're like I don't want to go out and run alone I don't want to, like, even though you run alone, you, you don't want to run alone. So that was really hard, but I think it really gave me a mental strength to really look into things that I needed to look into and use the running and the time off to really look at how I run, look at my cadence and to change things that I wanted to change 
Mm-hmm. But without that break, I wouldn't have done it because I would have been like, well, on to the next, on to the next. I know this is working where if you're going to change the way that you run. You can't really do it in like a week. People are like, I've tried. It's not working. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. You know, a baseball player is not going to change the way that they pitch overnight. It takes time. It takes practice. So that was the beneficial thing. But I also did run the New York City Marathon virtually. And I got done with that. And I told myself, and my, I talked to my dad, I was like, if I can do this by myself, if I was able to just do this with no fans, no one by me, like I ran around a lake two and a half times down in Dallas, not a soul. There was no family there and family and people on the crowd really hype you up. People don't get it. My brother, little brother and his wife didn't really get it. And then they came to New York in 2019 and he was like, this was the, like, he's like, I had the most fun today, just running around, trying to find you and screaming at you. And you you don't have that. You kind of like, you lose that extra kick of energy. You know, you hit that wall and that's when the crowd really brings you in. But I got done with that. And I was like, if I can do this alone and I've done everything else that I've gotten through in the past year from everything else that I've gone through, I'm like, I can get through anything and no one, you people might tell me no, but I'm going to be like, nope. Like I told my doctor in 2014, I'm going to prove you wrong. Now watch me and see what happens. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, and I love that. Like you still did the race without anyone in, but I mean, I'm sure just like any, who wants to play sports. I can't imagine how the sports were for players that didn't get to have anybody in the state, like stadium this last year. I mean, we got to go to some of the Husker games just because, you know, we know Lauren's difference. And so we got in on like the two family tickets that she gets, but it just wasn't the same for sure. Yeah. But I would love for you to kind of now talk about into this transition, into this kind of 2021 and this new transition of kind of where from an outside person and just, you know, what I see from you of, of especially kind of reconnecting of how you're finding yourself and now really getting to be in a dream role in a place where you want to be. Yeah. To backtrack. And I mean, I know we, you know, a little bit about my story and everything. I was so emotionally, mentally, physically abused that 2018 and 2019 were, I like, I, 2018 was just a blurb to me. The last from like February on, I left an abusive marriage. I moved halfway across the country by myself with my dog, learned things that I didn't even know were going on when I was married to immediately starting back in my role at Equinox. I called my old boss and I was like, I need help. And they gave me my job back. And I went from getting married and thinking this is my life and my family to trying to leave multiple times then finally being able to leave and I left and I didn't turn back and I started a job right away and then I was going through a divorce and I like that just one full swoop and then 2019 and it was like okay I got my running I'm kind of like me in a sense but I'm still dealing with all like the residual effects of what it is like to have PTSD what it is like to have extreme anxiety, what it is like to feel like, did I, did I make a mistake? And if 2020 and 2021 taught me anything, 2021 has taught me like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I can't worry about it. And it's kind of this fearless mentality in me that I've always had, but I gave that up a lot where I was like, I'm going to be too nervous to say anything. I don't want to I don't want to step on the bear and poke the bear and then get yelled at again. But now I'm like, if it's going to happen, 
it's going to happen. You know, I could sit mm-hmm. here all day worrying about things and be like why it's not going to work, or I'm going to do it and ask for the help, or I'm going to go after my dream. And either it's going to be a yes, or it's going to be a no. And guess what? Like the no at the time is going to be awful, but I'm no longer going to sit on the no, just like I'm no longer going to sit on the voices that were in my head for two years telling me of how awful of a human being I was. So I found Peloton and like you and getting on a bike and like having this like whoop moment, Peloton and the way that they speak to people and the way that you, you're encouraged to do stuff, but you don't feel like a POS, you don't accomplish it really spoke volumes to me. I could give all of my time in the world, but if it's not making me happy, I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I, I was stepped on so much growing up. I tried to people please everybody. You know, I gave up friends that I thought were going to be my best friends for life, but I kind of looked internally and I'm like, what am I giving out that I'm not getting back? And like, why am I still putting myself in these positions? Why do I feel like crap? Every time I go out with people, when I could just be at home and be happy by myself and be like, I'm going to go after what I do. And it's really telling too, when you are in something that's so elite and so extreme that people that I think don't have the courage to just go after it. They put all of their lack of self-confidence onto you. And here I am. And I'm like, I got this going on. This is happening. I'm going to give this race. I'm running this. And I'm putting time and energy into things that I love and getting crapped on when I'm like, I can giving energy to friends who they're doing what they love and I'm giving them encouragement and helping them. Why am I not getting that in return? And when I let go of that, the world opened up. I was like, I'm, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I was talking to somebody that we went to high school with the other day and I looked at her and I was like, I am not the same person that I was in high school. Right? No. And she's like, Michaela, you are a completely different person from even a year ago. She's like, you, you came out of everything like a flipping lion. She's like, you have so much, and it's not a cocky confidence. She's like, but you are just so sure of who you are today that because of the pain that you've gone through, you know what you're not going to take. And, and I tell my, like my family, I'm like, there's a difference between a barrier and a wall. A wall is something that you can break down. I have walls up hundred percent, but people can chip away at those and those walls will come down eventually. The barrier though, that's when you're going to get stopped and you're not, it's not coming through. So I have walls that you can break down my wall, but once you hit that barrier, if you hit that like game over, and if you're not team Michaela, (laughs) I don't, I don't need you in my life because I don't, I want people who bring joy, who bring energy and who build you up to want you to go after the things that you want. I'm no longer sitting here being like, I'm going to be friends with you because it's nice to have a friend and to have somebody to talk to. But while I'm building you up, you're tearing me down and making me feel like I'm not smart. I'm uneducated. I grew up a different way than you grew up, but that doesn't mean that I'm in the wrong or that you're in the wrong or that because I didn't learn this in high school or I didn't learn this in college because I didn't do a finance background. doesn't mean I'm a stupid person. It's just, I just have to go learn it and I'll go learn it or somebody explain it to me, but don't belittle my brain and who I am because of that. When you sit with yourself for basically a year and a half, two years, and you're like, 
I have to find a way to make me happy. And I look back now that I'm like, I know God has a plan. I don't know what that is. And I don't think we all know what it is. I feel like I'm getting, he's giving me glimmers of what that is. But at the same time, it's like, I understand now when people say you cannot be with somebody unless you are truly happy, because I know now I can talk about what I do in my life and I can talk about my job and it is my dream. Like if there's one other thing that I would get, it would be, I know what it is. I know I can do it, but I am, I'm seeing it. And I'm like, if God were to bring me a soulmate and drop this like man in front of me and be like, this is who you're with. I know now today I would be able to handle it. A year ago, two years ago, I would, I would be still so self-conscious, like self-conscious of what I do, what I say, but I'm like, if you're going to love me and if I'm going to love you, you're going to accept me for who I am and I'm not going to be too much. But I also know that I am a strong person that if they need to help picking up, like I can, I can pick them up, but I also not going to just rely on them for my happiness. Not saying that I relied on my ex for my happiness, but a lot of my things that I loved, I pushed away to make him happy where now I see it as this is me. This is my package that I'm bringing. And if it's something that you're not going to let me have, that makes me happy. Like I can't, that's not going to work. Whether you're a friend, family member, a boyfriend, a future husband, anything, an employer, like I have to have it all. You know, I, my mom doesn't like them because she thinks tattoos are taboo, but every tattoo that I have, like has a special meaning to me. And I have one on my wrist and it says, thank God for the almost. And I look at that today and I'm sitting here in New York city with my dream job. And I can look at this and I can hit this down. I can, I can smack it. I'm like, thank God, because for all of the almost that he has given me, he has gotten me here. And I could, I can't tell you how many times I've broken down in this past week of like, I am here. It happened every, like the things that I wanted that I never thought in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020 were ever going to happen we went through this crap storm and light came out of it. And I think a lot of people can look at COVID and be like, it was just crap. It was crap. I'm like, yes, it was crap. And a lot of people died and a lot of people are still sick and a lot of people are still dealing with it. But can you tell me that like, you didn't get closer to your family? Can you tell me that you didn't spend more time with your children? You didn't spend more time, you know, with a husband or your boyfriend, or you found new things that you enjoyed and I found something that I enjoyed because of COVID and it's looking at not a glass half full type situation. It's the cup is always filling up. I wasn't really into, you know, I was religious. I am religious. I went to church, but COVID also gave me the ability to listen to church almost on a daily basis and take all of these things that I am hearing and learning about and being like, this is phenomenal. Like, God is speaking to us in ways that we're not even paying attention to. And if we open up our minds and pay attention to it, like he is literally right there telling us what to do. He's literally putting it in front of our face of this is what you're going to do. And, and like, I still, I still can't believe it. I, my 30 year old self, if you would have told me at 30 going through a divorce, dealing with this traumatic scenario and being like, who am I? Cause I, I don't know who I am. I gave up my job. I gave up my career 
for my ex. I gave up everything for him. And I came out of it being like, I am so torn down. I don't even know like how to pick myself up. And God spoke to me and was like, we're going to figure this out. Like, I got you. It might not be your time, but I got you. And I can thank him so much that it ended when it did, because I could not imagine going through COVID stuck in that. But I also know God knew like he had my dream at hand and he was going to get me there on his own time. And instead of rushing it, like if I wouldn't have gone through that, I wouldn't be here. I know that. And I would rather be here than anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's so hard sometimes I think when like God gives us the big picture of something and you're like, but how am I going to get there? Like I see it and I see the glimmers of hopes. And I love how you kind of talked about that, that like you're seeing the pieces of it, even through the tragedy and how everything you've come through. I mean, there's so much we could unpack and go deeper into what you talked about, but, but it like, was just so great. And I love that, you know, your path of, of what people think to getting to where you are now and working with Peloton was not, was not this like easy path. And that if you can do it, like, and if people will put their mind to it, that's one thing I think that you said in there is that a lot of times, like you just have to commit to deciding to what you want to do and then move forward with it. There's, there's a lot of things that, you know, I've taken from people along the way of advice and the way just how to grow as a human, whether in your career and as a friend, as a sister or brother, like whatever you are to anybody is, and I still live by it to this day. It's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I, I have faults. I, I know at times I don't bring my best foot forward, but when you help somebody that comes to back to you, you know, karma is a real thing, but good karma is even better because if it wasn't for people at KTV, at Blue Jay Banner, at ESPN Radio in Omaha six, seven years ago, allowing me to come back years later and be like, hey, I really need to update my portfolio. Can I sit on the floor of creating game and take photos? They say yes without even blinking an eye. I wasn't even scheduled. I wasn't even with anybody for the College World Series. And I turned to the College World Series. I was like, I would love to update my portfolio. I haven't been doing anything for like a year. COVID, everything, like, can I get just get help? Boom, press pass, and they helped me along the way. I reach out to people that, you know, I've wanted more social media. I wanted more ability to showcase that and get away from the sports world of being in a news station and doing all of that. And when I came back to Dallas after everything, I was like, I know I still don't want to be in that, but I want the feel of it, but I want to do it in social media way. I reach out to people and they're like, we'll help you get there. I'm here now because people in my company helped me get here because I show up, I show out and you ask for the help. There is nothing wrong with anybody ever asking for help. Like, and I think that's a stigma that a lot of people have is like, I don't want to ask for it. Like it's, I sh- it's a bad thing. It is not. I can't tell you how many times I've asked things and I am more fearful now of not asking than being fearful of asking and being told no. That used to give me anxiety. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And they're just going to say, no, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. Now I'm like, what do I have to lose? And every time it's happened. So I, and do unto others as you have somebody do unto you and ask for the help. 
I am, I'm constantly living by those in my day to day all the time. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree that it is one of those things of just asking. Cause that's even how I am. And a lot of things are friends. I'm like, I just don't get how you like know all these people or you get people even on this show. And I'm like, cause I just ask because yeah. they're a human, just like you and I are humans. And yep. so that's just kind of how it has worked. So Um, I've loved getting to chat with you and thank you so much for sharing your story with the listeners. I always end each show with asking, what are you feeling called to do next? I mean, let's be real. I, I mean, I think you should just, I know what I you're being called to do next. And I'm also going to push you to tell the world what you really want, because if you speak it into existence, it will be true. I have, okay. So the past month and a half while I was trying to get this new role every time that I would think about it, I'd be like, nope, no bad thoughts about my interviews manifest it out. I'm giving it to the universe. God, take it. I'm positive energy. I crushed it. We're going to get it. And then I got it. So I, I agree with you. Yes. Giving it out into the universe does work. Well, you know, I worked for Peloton, all the listeners. I work for Peloton. Um, I'm part of their social media side right now, but my dream and what I feel like I'm being called to do is to be a long form tread instructor for Peloton. So I am currently working on getting my personal training certificate and my Roadrunners of America. Um, you need those to kind of like get in the door, but I'm in the door. So my 2022 is my, I have an outlook on life of where I want to be in 2022. And that is, I would die. I mean, well, I also, but I also like long-term, I also want to do all the world major marathons. So that's, I've done New York, obviously. So it's New York, Chicago, Boston, London, Tokyo, and Berlin. So there's six of them. I want to do all those, but I feel like I'm called to be a long form running coach. And people always ask like, we need 60, 90, 120 minute runs. And I'm like, Oh, put me on a treadmill. Like Saturdays. I'm not kidding you. I get up 8am college game day three hours on the treadmill, nonstop like clockwork, crane basketball season games that are like on TV, which now are all of them on a treadmill watching a game. Well, I'll have to admit maybe someday when you become the Peloton running instructor, maybe I will get on a treadmill then. Cause I don't like to run, but I will get on the bike. So well, if that happens, I'm going to be like, I'm going to go back to Omaha and I'm going to teach class live from Omaha. And I'm going to be like, do it. all y'all come on in, come on in. Well, I mean, I'll come to New York and I'll be in the studio and I'll bring my pom poms and I might not make it the whole run, but I'll be like, yes, she's on the thing. I, I am so blessed to be in the situation that I am in now. I'm so blessed to have people internally and externally that have gotten me here. And I, there's a person in Dallas that I truly want to thank. And he was a member at Equinox and we've always been in touch and he worked for a new station. His wife worked for a new station and he looked at me in 2020 and was like, why are you not going after your dream? Like you are, you love to run. You love social media. You've been on air, like figure it out. And he kind of gave me that little kick and here I am. And I started, like, I started at the bottom mm-hmm. of the barrel. Like I, I, my job that I had was not glamorous. And now I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing with me today. If people want to reach out to you after the show, where can they find you? So I'm on Instagram. It's Sova in the city. So it's my last name in the city. You can also email me. I'll give you my email. So if you want to put it into any of the captions or anything, you can do it. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey friend, have you ever thought about creating a podcast of your own, but you don't quite know all of the steps to take? It seems really scary and hard to create your own podcast. Well, actually podcasting is not as hard as it seems to get your podcast out onto the air. I have a free masterclass for you where I break down all of the ways that you can create a podcast, what I would do differently if I were to start over with my podcast, and I show you all the ways that you can create a podcast and the different platforms and what I would choose. I believe that everyone has a podcast inside of them and we all have something to share and the world needs to hear it. So if you've been thinking about creating your own podcast and you don't know where to start, girl, I got you. Head to the show notes of this episode where you can sign up for my free masterclass on podcasting. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Living Your Calling podcast. If you love this episode, will you share it with a friend or leave a review? Make sure that you subscribe or follow so that you don't miss a single episode. I love hearing from listeners and connecting. You can find us over on Instagram at the Living Your Calling podcast or at Michelle Ann Hagen. Join us inside of our private Facebook community called the Living Your Calling Podcast Community. It's free, so why don't you join us inside? You can join by clicking the link in our Instagram bios or checking out the show notes. Join us and we will dive in deeper and I can't wait to connect with you. If you needed someone to remind you that you are worthy of your dreams, friend, this is it. I promise that you are worthy of whatever is on your heart and whatever calling you are wanting to chase. I am proud of you and I'm here for you. You're listening to the Living Your Calling podcast, inspiring you to be and create exactly what you were made for.